This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. It it was something Gail said to me, Kelly. uh, Love is not about whom you've loved the longest. It's about who came to you and never left your side. The name of this podcast is It Just Takes One. And if you've been listening to it for a while, you know that is because I am fascinated by the concept of the number one. That it just takes one person, one choice, one moment, one story to send your life in a completely different direction. And it is with great pleasure that I have on my episode today, a dear friend of mine, Larry Indiviglia, who I often refer to as my one. Larry was my coach when I joined the Todd Durkin Mastermind Group back in 2009. And as my coach, he once told me that he believed I had what it took and the ability to write and publish a book. When he told me that, he had no idea that that was a lifelong dream of mine but he gave me the resources I needed and he encouraged and supported me along the way. And not long after that, I published my first book, Kelly's Quips, Happy Thoughts for Busy People. Fast forward to today and that first book became other books, became a publishing company. And now Greg Justice and I at Scripter Publishing Group are able to share what we've been given and the ability to help other people fulfill their dreams to become published authors. But it was really Larry that started me down that path. And so it is just a complete honor to be able to bring that full circle today and share his story with you. And I had the pleasure of working with him on this book. His new best-selling book is called 126 Days 11 minutes, our love story. It's an intriguing title and I'm gonna let Larry share the story about that. But as you listen into the interview, I encourage you to think about this question. Is it better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all? It's a deep question and Larry answers it as we talk and Larry answers it in his book. And I hope by the end, you have a really good answer for yourself to that question as well. I'm gonna let Larry share the rest. So I invite you to sit back and listen in as Larry Indiviglia shares his story. Hi, Larry, welcome to It Just Takes One. Good morning, uh, Kelly. It is a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to our uh, discussion, our connection this morning, and thanks for having me on. Oh, it's so great to have you on, and I always look forward to a conversation with you, but I am really looking forward to this one today where we're going to talk about a very special book that you just finished yes. and uh, a very special relationship that you had. We'll, we'll get into that as we go, but let's start off talking about our relationship. Let's share with the listeners 
a little bit about you and me and how we're connected and, and why it is that you and I are sitting here talking today. Uh, sure, Kelly, it'd be a pleasure to do that. And um, it's kind of interesting. I remember the great basketball player, Bill Bradley, wrote scholar, played for the New York Knicks. He said, in great team chemistry and basketball, it's the pass that leads to the pass that leads to the basket. And when I describe how we connected, it very much happened that way. Uh, a man named Todd Durkin, uh, 13 years ago, almost to the day, started his Todd Durkin Mastermind Business and Life Coaching Program. I was one of the uh, first people to sign up for that program. I had been a fitness professional 20 years. Todd had been in the business and wanted to coach more fitness professionals in leadership, marketing, and how to run a great fitness business. And uh, I joined up. I signed up. One of my teammates in that initial 12 or 15 people was a guy named Rick Ivone. Rick Ivone connected with you on some level and said, hey, Kelly, this is something. And this was uh, probably two years after I had joined the mastermind or a year and a half or so and said, hey, Kelly, I think this Todd Durkin guy, I went out to one of his retreats. I think you might want to join this where you're at in your life. So Rick introduced you uh, to Todd and you connected and uh, lo and behold, Todd's program was expanding and I was at my 20 year mark of my professional career. Todd hired me as one of his coaches in the mastermind program. And you were in one of the first members of my team of 15. So I was your coach, your TD mastermind coach and you were one of the coaches um, in my group and that was April 2009, 11 years ago. And boy, there's been a lot that's happened since then. And from a coach's point of view, Kelly, I'm just so rewarded out of all the growth and success and fulfillment you've had with Todd's program. And um, I take no credit for it, but I do take credit in maintaining connection with you and encouraging you to, to really find what your vision and dream is. And writing was a big part of that. Mm, it's so true. I really love going back and remembering all of that. And April 15th, 2009, yeah, exactly. It was tax day was the first day that you called us together on a, on an email, a Google group yeah. email. And, yeah. uh, and we began our journey together and Larry, you may not take credit, but I give you credit. I often say you are my one because you encouraged me, you coached me, you supported me through some of the most challenging years of my life. Yeah. And yeah. you really were the person who, who gave me, because you believed in me, you gave me the ability to Kelly, continue to I grow. Did. I, I did believe in you. And I love Kelly's Quips, your first book. It is so interesting that we've worked together on my book. And I remember vividly, you know, when you came out with, with uh, your first read and uh, it was just awesome. And yeah. thanks very much for the comments. There is uh, certainly a divine, the circle of life, right? Where you yeah. said to me, Kelly, you should write a book. And I did. You gave me all the resources and tools I needed. And I did. And, and one of my favorite memories of that was when we sat at Rick Ivone's house and you read my book to the group and our first mastermind retreat. I remember and that. Today, I am going to repay that favor and do the oh, same okay. for you. <laughs> I, I look forward to it. I, I'm at the edge of my seat as to which passage it may be, but um, I'm sure, Kelly, you have good intuition. <laughs> I have plenty of post-it notes here with possibilities. <laughs> They're <Yeah>. endless. <laughs> and, you know, our biggest lesson is when you connect with people, like-minded souls, um, 
we don't run the road and our journeys alone. It's always like Bill Bradley said, the connection that leads to the connection. Very much so. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. So let's talk about this book. Uh, mm. It is 126 days, 11 minutes, our love story. And I, I want to share this book because it is, it is a very special story. It was a very special relationship that you had with Gail. And even from the moment you read the title, I think you'll be, you're intrigued and want to understand what this book is about. So let's start a little bit with the backstory of this book. Sure. Why did you decide to bring this story into a book and to share it with the world? Well, you know, I'll best answer that question two parts. First part is 126 days, 11 minutes, our love story is a true story. And of two actively aging um, seniors in their 60s who meet online and against all odds fall madly in love, even though one of them is battling stage four breast cancer. They decide to live in the today, not in the past or in the futures, and openly and honestly create a great relationship. And with no regrets, lay it all on the line and, and, and love them, love unconditionally. And we learn that it is possible and worthwhile to live and love with loss rather than never to have loved at all. So that's kind of, you know, a condensed description. Now, why I wrote it, um, couple of, uh, actually the perfect storm, three things. Gail had passed. I had lost a very, very special woman in my life. I was grieving. So it was a form of catharsis to write. I had had journals. I had had things that I had had access to that were fresh in my mind. So that was the first thing as a grieving process. Secondly, um, things were in my mind, raw, fresh, emotions were there, and I wanted to really share the lessons I learned from this special woman, Gail, to the world because I felt that there was lessons that were valuable, not only to me, but to all the Gales and Larrys out there. So that was, that was number two. And the third thing was, in the darkness and shadows of COVID, you know, and it sounds weird, but COVID put restrictions on our lifestyle. Uh, professionally and personally. So I had time to write three hours every night, four hours every day on the weekends because I was doing less. I couldn't do as much as we could all can relate to. So because of that, I felt an urgency to basically, you know, type on the keys as fast as I can and get the story done. And um, that, those are the reasons why. And really the ultimate reason is to honor Gail's life because she was a special person her life mattered, she made a difference, and I know there's many out there like Gail battling this horrible disease that sometimes you could just become a number or a statistic and there's a human being behind every woman that is, is going through possibly what Gail went through. So that's kind of why. Mm, beautiful. And I'm really glad that you brought that up as we sit here in Breast Cancer Awareness Month yeah. um, and, and talking about Gail's journey with that disease and, and how it impacted her throughout her life. And it makes me 
you know, as I as I read the book and as I was trying to picture Gail and get to know Gail through your story, yeah, she was she was really a strong, strong woman. She was. This was not her first round of cancer. She had been through a lot even before she met you, yeah. and and yet it never stopped her life and the things that she was truly, truly passionate about really started to rise to the surface, I think, as she experienced these illnesses even, even more profoundly. Yes. Let's uh, talk a little bit about Gail and, and what she was passionate about and, and what how she lived her life through the journey of her illness and, and through the journey of things she loved. Sure. You know, it, it's interesting. 126 days, 11 minutes. It's not an autobiography of Gail. However, there's things you do find out about Gail. And uh, even though we are, but we, because we are products of our past, producers are our future, but products of our past. You know, Gail lived a colorful life. She went to University of Southern California. She majored in Russian and, uh, and French studies. She was conversant and fluent in both languages. She had an extremely high EQ, right, emotional quotient, and IQ, and sometimes hard to find in any one person. Um, she, as, a, as a younger woman, she was interested in movies. She kept black and white scrapbooks of actors and actresses, so she was interested in that. The black and white, I, I, she saw the, the world in, in black and white. She was kind of a black and white woman in a lot of ways. And you know, as a photographer, she, she eventually went on her photography career and, and did that for 33 years. I'm just gonna share one thing just to give you the essence of her, which was her major profession. Hmm. Often I will be caught staring off at something or someone when I'm out in the world. Something shaped by light that touches a deep flicker of truth in my heart. Something that I passionately believe in. Now, this is her talking about her photographic profession. My role as a photographer is to share the wonder that happens through the lens, inspired by the vibrancy of love and connection that surrounds us. That is deep. And she was a Virgo. She was an earth maiden. <laughs> and she had an ex a really close contact and appreciation of nature. Loved to hike. Loved to move. And as she went on on her journey, you know, she loved uh, dancing. She loved movement. She was a big workout person, the Jane Fonda days, because, you know, Gail was 68 when she passed and we were contemporaries. So she always worked out modern dance. And then she got into the Argentine tango 12 years ago. So when she was in her mid 50s, dance was huge to her. Dance was a lifestyle. It was not just movement, but it was a lifestyle. So dancing, ballet, photography, she really loved movement, not only on the dance floor with light, and she loved people. She loved the photography and soulful representations of people. And, um, you know, Gail, she loved, you know, on her deathbed, and I share it in the book, um, I was a lover, a dancer, and I took pictures. It's funny how she just kind of <laughs> said I took pictures like it was just something uh, a hobby it was much more than that. But, um, you know, Gail was married three times, colorful life, California girl, loved warmth, didn't like the cold, <laughs> but, um, and could be funny. She could be serious, but she can go through cartoons and do voices about deputy dog and whatever. So multifaceted, multi-talented, 
and uh, a really deep and and uh, beautiful soul. Uh, interesting and interested. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And actually, as you're talking about her photography and her love of movement and light, all of that is encapsulated on the cover of the book. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, coincidence or perhaps not, many of Gail's pictures, most were black and white. That was one of her best color photos. And it's called Malanga Number One, and it's a it's a representation. She photographed a bunch of tango dancers and did some movement with the camera, uh, played with the speed and the lighting, and uh, that is one of her photos. So she is a definite part of this book, uh, right on the cover, and um, you know she's a she's a part of it, as was Tango was to her life. Yeah, and also as we're talking about the cover of the book and and Gail. Um, who who did experience breast cancer, the back cover of the book, you also have a beautiful image here that is yeah. important at this moment too. It, it, it is, it's, it's, it's funny. I, uh, I connected with an, a Fresno, California-based artist named Deb Barks. Deb is a glass mosaic artist, cancer survivor. Gail, uh, Deb had tonsil cancer and she does glass mosaics. We connected and she created the piece called The Journey which basically is honor of people who either died from cancer in treatment or survived treatment. And, and Deb had been a part of that. And she puts on that very special mosaic that we have on the back and she's Native American. And Gail loved Native American culture. Talk about coincidence. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, Deb in that graphics talks about the pain and fear uh, cancer uh, people in cancer treatment have how they rely on hope and faith and develop strength. So finally, hopefully they find peace in some way from the demand and the challenges put on them. I felt very called to put that on the back because that was a sub story. Cancer didn't define Gail's life, but it was a big part of it, especially when I knew her. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a part of her life while you knew her. In fact, Larry, um, the first time that you told me about Gail was last January. We were in San Diego. I think it was January. Maybe it was February. Uh, early February. Yeah, almost. February. Yeah. Early February. Yep. Um, and we were in San Diego for our mastermind retreat. And you and I and the other coaches had um, liked to get together the night before to connect oh. and get ourselves ready for the weekend. And just before we were finished, you and I had a moment where we were to the side and you said, yeah. Kelly, I, I met somebody really special. And I was excited. You wanted to hear more. And you said, and... She has stage four breast cancer. Yeah, yeah. So tell us what that experience was like for you, uh, meeting this woman for the first time and finding that out all at the same time. Yeah. How did that evolve? And how did that evolve into the relationship that it became? Very insightful question, Kelly. And people have asked me, well, once you find something out about a person, especially if they're sick, um, many people just say, you know what, I don't really want to take that on. I don't think it's something I want to get involved with. And that's kind of society's way of saying, you know, protect yourself, perhaps. I was captivated from the start on the first phone call I had with Gail on that January 6th, kind of the feast of the epiphany. Interesting. <laughs> um, we spent... Um, 
an hour and 26 minutes on the phone. I keep track of these things. I didn't know the significance of that. She was very, very transparent and upfront about her cancer journey of four plus years, um, that she had had a single mastectomy, that she had battled chemo and radiation. However, she was ready to meet somebody and she was continuing to embrace life despite, despite the cancer. And she felt that she was gonna beat it uh, through a variety of different ways. And the courage that she showed and the honesty that she showed on the phone um, really made my curiosity and I was even more captivated to meet her, which I did the next night. And um, Gail was beautiful. I was physically attracted to Gail. More so than anything else, I felt immediately at ease and comfortable with her in, um, in just talking about life. So there was a there was a, a physical connection, an emotional and mental connection. She was very spiritual in her own way. So in all of those four particular aspects of a connection, Kelly, and hard to develop all fully, I felt all four were being pulsed and I felt a connection on some level. And um, the courage that she showed in putting herself out there and just saying, this is life. I'm embracing it. This is love. If I couldn't be a woman, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you. Uh, that was very admirable. And if anything, I knew I needed to find out more about this woman and have a deeper connection. Uh, and that, that was from the start. Mm. Also, um, just to add to that, you had also had an experience with cancer. And so you had some connection with that as well. Do you want to share yeah, a little bit about great that? Point. Kelly, great point. I had uh, been diagnosed the same month as Gail, actually, October 2015, with colorectal cancer, very early stage. Um, and, and I fortunately did not have to go through the ordeal Gail did with, with her stage four. So I had an empathy. I had an empathy when you sit down there and somebody tells you that you have a positive cancer diagnosis on some level. You could feel alone, you could feel scared, you could feel abandoned, you could feel ticked off, you could be in denial, all those things. And then you have to make a choice as to, okay, if this is true, this is reality now, how do I move forward? Okay, how do I respond rather than reacting? So I did have that empathy. I was also more mature where I was in life, Kelly. I was 64. Um, would I have continued the relationship if I was 34, 44? I, I can't answer that di directly or without some thought, but I know at 64, the journey I had been on, I have experienced loss in life, and I also experienced great joy, and I was mature enough, and also my cancer experience helped me to say, you know what, here's a special person. I understand her. I believe I understand her situation and I'm willing to pursue and discover more. Mm. Yeah. And and you did. And, and as you share in the book, each day of this journey with her, uh, continue to sort of unfold, not just in the yeah. experiences you were having, but in the love that was happening and that was growing between you. Describe a little bit about how the two of you continue to live 
so much in the present and and you know as you said at the beginning to to look at the possibilities of the now instead of the what ifs ahead of you i i believe kelly uh two things um we had both experienced loss of a sibling um in this case gail's younger brother and I had lost some siblings. So we know that life and happiness and joy is fleeting and could be changed in a moment. We both had, had that experience. So we knew that the present is what we have and, um, and really that's all we're guaranteed. Now, it doesn't mean that you wake up every day with such intensity that, <laughs> oh, tomorrow is never gonna come. No, we, we weren't you know, to that extent, certainly, but we had an awareness there. Um, we also knew that at our age, when a special connection or what we believe to be a special connection um, comes to fruition, and that is something we have, there's not too many do-overs, Kelly, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, you're in your 60s, and it's not like we're in our 20s anymore. So we relished that there was a special connection and that we were going to without limits, do what we could do to bring joy and to bring adventure and to bring fun and positivity into what we had together. We were enamored with one another, yes. And I really felt that it wasn't a run for your life type of thing, like how many days does scale have left? I never felt that way. I never felt that I had to top each day. Um, and she, she let me lead. And that's where tango comes in. Hmm. Tango, the Argentine tango, the man leads, the woman follows. Now, the woman does not follow just without mindful following. She has to respond and react to the man's lead. Gail did that. She was comfortable in letting me lead. She was comfortable in responding and following. Other women may not. Other women may say, you know what? This guy wants to do this and this and this, but she felt comfortable. And I think because of tango, the embrace is the key. And with the embrace, anything is possible. When that embrace, you get separated. There's no freelance on the floor with tango. <laughs> so that helped her in that appreciation of the dance of not only Argentine tango, but the dance of life. She felt life was a dance and, and, and the, the steps that you took would vary each day, but uh, each one a meaningful step. Mm, what a great image. I don't know a lot about dance. I don't know a lot about tango, although I've seen it, but I, I don't understand the nuance of it. Yeah. She does speak to it, to you in the book. She does, um, she does. But the yeah. image of it's the embrace and then the leading and the following, that's a beautiful way to think about life, about your relationship and obviously about the dance. Yeah, and it's, it's, um, and it's I, I do think, you know, in, in tango, it's the lead and it's the follow by the woman, but how that woman follows could then lead the man to lead in a different way, right? Yeah. So, so there's an interchange. There, there, there is a, um, a symbiotic relationship in there. It's not just a man throws a move out there and the woman follows him mindlessly. It's that connection, maybe the Bill Bradley, 
the mm -hmm. past that leads to the past that leads to the next flow of movement, you know? Geez, I'm giving Senator Bradley uh, a lot of credit. Giving him a lot, lots of kudos. Yeah. We'll have to make sure he hears this and listens yeah. to it. <laughs> he was a Rhodes Scholar, so I, I, I do like him. But in any case, Excellent. that really had an impact, I think, on how she saw life. And, um, and I, I think traditionally, I'm not saying she let the man, I, I didn't know anything about her past love relationships, but that's how I knew her. That's mm -hmm. why. And again, yeah. back to that very present moment. It wasn't about her past. It wasn't about your past. It was yeah. about where you were in the moment today. You know, one of the things that comes out of your book, for sure, and certainly um, because it's it's looking at your life that comes out of your relationship is this, if you were going to define unconditional love, mm. that's what you feel about the relationship and, and the emotion that the two of you had for each other. Do yeah. you think that's true? And, and can you speak a little bit about unconditional love? You should, we sort of throw that term around, like, oh, oh yeah. wouldn't it be great if there was such a thing? And is there such a thing? Um, but I think in this story, you can honestly say that, that there really was this unconditional love being shared. I, I do agree, Kelly. And um, I revert back to the great Harold W. Becker. Harold Becker wrote a book called An Unlimited Way of Being. An Unlimited Way of Being. And what Harold spoke about in the book, um, which if you have no limit on your thoughts and your actions and your feelings for yourself, then you could pass that on and show that to another. So um, first, unconditional love for yourself. In fact, Gail even said that, I think I might've quoted her in the book, where she said, unconditional love between two people cannot exist unless you love yourself unconditionally. Doesn't mean that we don't have limitations. It doesn't mean that we don't have weaknesses as a person, but to love and accept and respect yourself unconditionally first. If you don't, it's very hard to offer that to another person. So that's something that's important. I think unconditional love too, Kelly, with no limits, there's no judgments, expectations, conditions on that relationship. And that um, we see ourselves kind of in um, the reflection of another. I saw myself in Gail in a lot of ways. Not, not necessarily because of the cancer, but because of the type of person um, that she was. And I think we all deserve to be loved without conditions. I do, I do believe that. Um, you know, limitless love, uh, sharing that um, openly is the love you'll receive in return. If somebody reads the book, and hopefully they will, 126 days, 11 minutes, they'll see that I do I did a lot for Gail because I loved her. But in doing that, she shined that love back to me. And I received, I believe, just as much, if not more, in, in, in that relationship. So it, it goes on that level as far as unconditional love for self, unconditional love for others, and no limits, as, as Harold Becker said an unlimited way of being in and of yourself. That's the foundation for it. Yeah, amazing. I've also, also heard you say many times through the years that people come into our lives when we need them, that people come along our path yeah. Yeah. 
and and there's the there are these beautiful synchronicities that happen. Um, how do you think? What well, what do you say to that? Because obviously you came into Gail's life; she came into yours at this particular yeah. moment. Where were you at this moment that you needed her in your life? Great question. You know, Kelly, I, I, I do have a strong faith that I do believe God has a plan for all of us. And uh, there's a certain flow to our journeys. And he does bring people into our lives for a reason. Um, I had not been online for a while, and I didn't spend a lot of time on online dating sites per se. But it had been about a year. And I had had two previous relationships, respectful, but nothing that was going to to be lasting. And uh, I was I was ready by, um, you know, you know, in our program, we do our 10 forms of wealth wheel and my love wheel rankings from one to 10 was about a three or four it just wasn't where I needed it to be. So I intentionally set the intention for the new decade to meet somebody. And, um, and I was open to it. And when you're open to it, then I believe God brings in people into your life for a specific reason. I believe he brought Gail into my life for a specific reason and um, a powerful reason, and also brought me into Gail's life, um, you know, from, from the other angle. And I, I viewed it that way very quickly. I didn't know where it was going to last. I didn't know how long it was going to last, necessarily where it was going to go. But I did want to experience a love this year, and I set the intention to do that. If somebody would have told me, it would have led to writing a book, and it would have been a very, very short-term relationship, only 18 weeks, I probably would have said, well, I'm not sure I'm understanding what you're telling me. But, um, you know, it, it was something Gail said to me, Kelly, um, love is not about whom you've loved the longest. It's about who came to you and never left your side. So it doesn't have to be necessarily long sometimes, but the quality of the relationship. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, synchronicities is something that was, is certainly present in all of our lives if we're open mm -hmm. to it. And if we're open eyes and, and, and listening and watching for them. Um, but within your story, there were several different synchronicities that came out. Um, I'd love to share just a couple of those just oh, sure. because they were so yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. One of them is the numbers. Um, yeah. Numbers are very important to you. And you, you kind of alluded to it with your first call being an hour and 26 minutes. And of course, yeah. it was 126 days. Um, but Share a couple of the other synchronicities that happened between you and Gail and in the moments that you were together. Yeah, the synchronicities, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, we had a feel for um, movies. She loved movies. She loved watching movies. And um, she loved to talk about the characters and what one character was doing, the protagonist, the antagonist. And in that, she always looked at that as a dance. She loved relationships with people and she had a depth to people. Um, if she could come in, she read people very well. I do have the same ability to do that. She would see somebody, oh, Larry, this person's been a dancer. This person, I could see it. Now that was her photographic eye as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, I was very blessed. My dad was a very, very talented artist. 
And uh, for many years, he died at 99. And I always remember him being able to compose pictures on canvas. And Gail talked about that. She talked to, about lighting, composition, looking at a picture, looking at nature. And we had that. We, we had a similar creative eye for things. And we were definitely aligned that way. She would notice something and I noticed something else about what she was noticing. Um, the other thing, grounded, you know, walking on the beach, um, no shoes, grounded to nature, that aspect of it, you know, we were really aligned that way as, as well. Another way we were very synchronous, she was on a very strong nutrition program, but I had always eat healthy. I didn't think twice about it. You know, it was not a problem at all. And although there was some restriction she had, I, I didn't have to like change my routine like radically. It was just natural for me, uh, you know, to help her along those, those lines. Uh, love for people, uh, love for nature, love for art and the creative side, and um, love for life and being able to enjoy the simple. It's like sometimes less is more, simple is good, together is better. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of times we would do things like we were out at a resort a couple days away. You could do, you could do a lot, you could do nothing and still have a good time. So, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I actually am glad you brought it up to that because the, the chapter where you talk about the secret garden, when you went yeah. away for a couple days, not far, just no. the road a little no. way um, and found this, it, which was also a synchronicity at come to think of it because it was the room number. Yeah. Something you that know, came back around. That, that did the number three, the Lotus room three, and, and then the garden room three where Gail died. That was something I noticed. Um, um, I did. I noticed that early. That was, uh, that was a powerful number. Number three was a powerful number. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, very, very nice. And I actually pulled up um, one of my post-it notes here was actually that time when you were at the Secret Garden because that was a moment when things began to shift. She was starting to feel not as well close Correct. to that time. And there's a point here where you decided to go for a walk. And I want to share just a little bit of that. Because yeah, sure, sure. This conversation that you have is something that most people have probably at least thought about even superficially, mm. um, but I want to share it now because I want to encourage the listeners to think about it even more deeply. Sure. So this was um, day 55 yeah. and it was the third day of your beautiful stay at the secret garden. Yeah. yeah. And we decided to take a morning walk along the beach. And as Gail always liked to do, get some sand between our toes. She did. The walk to the beach was on a narrow street with a slight downhill slope. We both wore sweats and sandals and sunglasses and looked like a hip older couple, which we were. <laughs> we were about a block from the actual sand when Gail grabbed my hand tighter as if she was going to fall. I did not see her trip on anything and asked her what was going on. Gail, are you okay? She answered, Larry, I feel unsteady. My balance is off. Can we stop for a minute? I said, sure, baby. Are you lightheaded? Gail said, not really. Let me wait here a bit. I think it was just the downhill. We waited for five to seven minutes, and then I suggested we shorten our walk. Gail insisted on continuing. We made it down to the sand, removed our sandals, and had an uneventful walk along the beach. 
At one juncture, Gail stopped and asked me a deep question. What would you do if you only had 30 days to live? Yeah. Powerful moment. And then you, you both give a response to that question, but what was that moment like for you? Did you begin to sense something in that moment deeper than just a question? I did, Kelly, in all honesty. I, I felt that um, it was a foreshadowing of something that wasn't quite right in her body. And um, she had been dancing ballet, dancing tango, up to that point and um i there was there was a shift there and especially in her physical response when we were walking and then her to ask me that question i i believe that she knew there was something wrong and something was going on um and during the number of that day as it turned out we had 63 days of, of where she had somewhat health and 63 days where she did it. And it was kind of interesting how it just worked out that way, you know, almost even. But that that was the beginning of uh, the cancer coming back, I believe, as a sign. And it's interesting, um, that was about two weeks before COVID. We had the entire shutdown on COVID. And as I recall that day, there was, there was something we had noticed about, you know, people wearing masks that day. So there was something about that day that was a little bit cloudy. Um, there was a foreshadowing there. I don't want to say it was ominous, but it did get me to thinking that, yeah, that um, something was off in her health. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, like you said, the 63 days of relative health and then 63 yeah. days not. Um, she, within a couple of weeks after that, ended up um, in the Parkview home. Yeah, she she did. About three weeks after that, that uh, that walk that we took there, yeah. Yeah, and and there was a there was actually a beautiful moment in the story where you shared her on her last drive as they were driving her there, and um, sort of that feeling of the transition that was starting to happen in that moment. Yeah, it it was, and I remember when we got to Parkview. Uh, one of the nurses who I got very close to said, God, this woman comes in. She looks like a Hollywood star. Like, what is going on here? You know, but uh, Gail was one of the younger patients there at 68. And, um, but yeah, it was, um, you know, there was always joy in, in many, many things we did. And Gail, over four years and seven months of battling stage four breast cancer, she dealt with it. She was determined, Kelly. She was determined to embrace life as long as she had any life in her. And um, so some of those signs of weakness, whatever, maybe they were there, but she was determined to still power through as best she could. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely feel that as you read how she responded in those moments. There was never a moment where she was giving up. You you can clearly sense that in all of the dialogue and the conversations you you shared. But there is a moment that I wanna ask you about because this, sure. this piece has stayed with me since the very first time and I have read this book now many times. 
Um, but from the very first moment that I read the first draft that you sent me, this stuck with me. And, and it was the moment when she was, it was, it was very close to the end. It was day 111, 111. Yep. <laughs> I just realized that as I'm pulling it up here in the book. <laughs> um, there's, there's a moment when you're sitting in the room and, and the, the chapter is called One Last Deep Connection. Yeah. And you could tell there was something going on. She looked tired and yeah. you greeted her and said hello, but you could, you could tell and you asked her if she needed to talk. And she looks at you directly in the eyes, you said, and said, I don't want to die. That moment, I, even as I'm saying it now, I can feel it. What do you do in that moment? How do you, I mean, you, you, you respond and you respond so beautifully, but tell me a little more about that because I think that is so real. She wasn't going to, she was not, she was fighting to the last minute. She was going to live yeah. until yeah. she died. There was no doubt. And yet there is this uncertainty, this fear that is there that's that we will all face at some point someday um but here you are loving her knowing you cannot fix this knowing you cannot make it go away and she says to you i don't want to die what was yeah, that, that was moment the, like for you kelly, kelly that's a powerful moment and um gail gail did not have um, she was a spiritual person believed in a higher power but she didn't believe in God in the traditional sense, okay? Um, Bible verses and things like that didn't work for, for her, but she had a larger view of an afterlife. That said, she was not ready to go yet. She did not want to leave yet. She felt that she had battled. She was determined to the end that until there was no life left that she was going to overcome this cancer at some point during her transition in hospice she came to the realization that she wasn't going to live that said it didn't mean she wanted to die and she told me that because she didn't want any last this wasn't a movie she didn't want any last minute deathbed major life explanation or life reflection or life remembrance. She was always grounded in her truth. And I mentioned that in the book, Kelly, to the end. And that was part of it. She was truthful, grounded and stood in her truth and said, I don't want to die, Larry. And, and, um, you know, I may be here in hospice, but I don't want to go. And I'm sure there was there was a certain fear that we all would have about the unknown and the uncertainty of the next step wherever we're going past humankind. Um, so I felt there that that was Gail being truthful, grounded in her truth, and not, okay, this is it, I'm going, and it's been a great life. And I'm done. It wasn't it. She didn't want to go. I know that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm, I, yeah, I think in, yeah, in so many ways, it was just, like you said, her living and her truth. 
even when you know something's going to happen, it doesn't necessarily mean you want it to happen. <laughs> no. But many of us might gloss and just say, oh, it's fine. Or, or you know, just, yeah. she wasn't that person. She was going to tell it like it was. It was. And, you know, I want to just follow with one thing, Kelly, on this, because it's important. I did put it in the book, and it's the, it's the great quote by Jerome Grobman about hope. To hope under the most extreme circumstances is an act of defiance that permits a person to live, to live his or her life on his or her own terms. It is part of the human spirit to endure and give a miracle a chance to happen. And you know, maybe in that statement of hers, I don't want to die, she still had hope. Maybe a miracle is going to happen. It's unlikely, but you know what? I'm not giving up. Yeah, as long as there's some light of hope, right? Yeah. Use the word yeah. light. Um, yeah. You can keep going. Yeah. How do you think this is going to impact your relationships going forward? I'm curious, the, you know, obviously this was a very profound relationship in your life, a once in a lifetime kind of relationship and a once in a lifetime kind of love. But I'm curious how you think this is going to impact you as you go forward in relationships. It actually already has. In a sense, I, Gail was a catalyst, a catalyst that proved to me that I can love again um, and find love with another woman spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally, which I was searching for. And I knew now it was possible, albeit it was a short-term relationship, uh, sadly with Gail, but it was profound. And she did tell me that at one juncture in the book, she says, you know, Larry, I know you'll love somebody again, and I want you to. Uh, don't, be, don't be moping around, you know, because I'm gone. And it has permitted me to, to move forward and to be open to, um, to new relationships, which I'm actually met somebody fairly recently, and I, I have an, a, an existing relationship now um, with a woman named Elizabeth, and it's a, it's on a different level, but I have learned so much from Gail that it has helped me move forward, and it will help me in every relationship I have, including the present one, Kelly. So, um, boy, you know, I, I've I received so much from Gail and will always remember her, but it's never going to be a comparison. It's something that you had. It was special and gave me the ability to move forward. And it really, it really did. Gail really did help me. Yeah. I heard someone once describe it, um, that the, the relationships we have in life are sort of like what we put into the suitcase. And then we, when, when they're over, the suitcase is closed and we just pick the suitcase up and carry it with us. Mm -hmm. So they never leave. They just kind of get folded in to who we are and what we're doing as we move forward. And I yeah. always thought that was kind of a nice visual of it is. how it we is. bring everything and everyone and every relationship with us. Yeah, it, that, that's a great analogy because... Um, we're travel. Each of us is traveling on a journey, you know, and um, and uh, each stop, we 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 glean something, 
we know this with our work with Todd and the mastermind, Kelly, um, the ability to look at life in teaching and learning moments. And that helped me a lot with my relationship with Gail, teaching and learning moments, not to overanalyze, you know, I get that, but to be aware of what's in front of you and what you're experiencing, that it is deeper, it is a little more profound and it is meaningful. And it is a part of, of your journey, you know? And uh, so we are all travelers, you know, when it comes down to it. And um, you know, some journeys go longer than others. Um, you know, some are shorter, but uh, all, all meaningful and certainly, um, certainly important and, and in their own right, each one of us. Yeah. Absolutely. So Larry, what's next for this book? I know you've got some other mm -hmm. things coming up with it. Feel free to share what, what you're doing. The, I, I really want to um, get the book in as many hands as possible. I do have an ambition to get it out and hopefully sell a million books. Kelly, that's a big number, I know. It has wide appeal. There's a lot of lessons in there. And as you know, in creating a book, you get it in that nice hard copy form. It feels good. The promotion and how you go about it is the next very important step. And uh, you and Greg and Scripter have provided me a nice start, certainly, and then some. Um, I do want to, I would love to do an 11-minute TED Talk about the book. Mm, um, I think that would be that would be interesting to keep it to 11 minutes. There's some symbology there, linearity, um, and people will see that after they read it. And um, I do want to give back um, via the book to various causes, and I can't list every one of them, but one of them is the hospice community. Um, it gave me an appreciation to such a degree, um, what not only uh, in-home hospice does, but also the inpatient hospice homes that are spread throughout the country. Um, I do wish there were more of them uh, and they do just some angelic work and I do want to acknowledge them and hopefully help them. I also wanna help all the gals and Larrys out there, whatever ages they are, um, to say yes to a relationship, even though one person may be struggling. It doesn't have to be cancer, Kelly, and it doesn't have to result in death at all. But sometimes people are afraid to love somebody because it's easier not to. And, um, you know, the heart has no questions if you follow it. And um, you can miss out on something really, really special. So that message is gonna be a strong one. Finally, I think a, a workbook about the lessons from 12611, um, there's various lessons in there that um, could be discussed. And how would you respond in this particular situation? You know, here was the situation. I'm not talking about a case study, that's not it. But there's junctures along all of the 126 days that do highlight certain things about people, about experiences, about health, about well-being. And Gail shared a lot of that, and I shared it in the book, about how we can overcome chronic diseases, including cancer. There's a way to do it. 
it may not be super easy, but I'm hoping that there's an awareness there that also um, could be increased. And also the dying process. Okay, sometimes we don't want to talk about it, but each of us is going to face it on some level someday. So how caregivers um, could help a patient, a loved one. And then also when you are a caregiver, how many wonderful people come out and help you during the journey as you're caring for somebody, which happened that I cite many instances, Kelly, in the book on that. So those, so those are some of the things that, um, that I'm going to be working with. Yeah, beautiful. So many great um, gifts to still be given. And um, just thank you to you and to Gail for the time that you shared so that it can continue and other people yeah. can, can learn from what you're teaching. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I want to read actually, because you just mentioned it, I, I'd like to finish this with the closing paragraph of your book, mm -hmm. uh, because it speaks to what you just said. Um, and, and I'd like to read it out loud so you can hear it this way. And it says, finally, to all the Gales and Larrys out there who are looking for love, but are afraid to discover it with another person who may be struggling, do reconsider. Logic and society's perceptions will never outweigh your heart. Your heart has no questions. Follow it and you will experience a love you never imagined. I know Gail and I did. You can too. Yeah. Yeah, Kel. It's possible and, and worthwhile uh, in, in our journeys to be open to it. And maybe that goes back to Mr. Becker's unlimited way of looking at life. Don't limit yourself in anything. Don't let a person or persons tell you something is right or wrong when in your heart you feel a different way. And, and to follow that. And I think it's powerful, especially now, there's so many things going on um, in our society and in the world. And, but, you know, with it all, love still is going on, you know, in the shadow and the darkness of COVID. You know, it, it continues on. And we don't stop. Love never stops if we're open to it. And it'll come to everyone. Um, and if you're open to it. So it, it's interesting, Kelly, you had asked, I think, um, what is the, what is it, what is my answer to, it's just one, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and my answer to it is choice. That one choice, that just one choice you make in life could really set your life on a different direction, could create an experience or relationship that changes your life or helps you grow more. It could lead to a career shift. It could lead to a relationship that lasts 50 years. It could lead to creating something special that perhaps you would not have. So the power of just one, just one choice on your journey and how that can make a difference. In some cases, it could be a someone, right? A, a, a choice like I made to pursue a relationship and to nourish a relationship with Gail. It goes back to how just one choice 
can really make a difference, not for only for yourself, but, but for another. So true and a, and a beautiful ending uh, because it's a great lesson for all of us. It takes one choice and you never know where that trajectory will go, but when you make it, it will take you somewhere. Yeah, having the courage to do it. And having, having the courage, courage to do it. Do it. Well. And the love, I do wanna end on that note too. Just um, like you said, especially now, COVID, the uncertainty, sort of just this, uh, it's easy to, to go down and slide down into the negativity. And I think it, your message is so true. It's important to be open, be open to love. It's there and it will come to anybody who's open to receiving it. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, many, many, um, 126 days, 11 minutes, our love story. If somebody would have told me on January 1st, Kelly, that like I said earlier on the podcast here, that I'd be writing a book about a person that I met and only knew her 18 weeks. Um, the universe and higher authority, I, I think, put that into play. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll turn it over to them for what's next. Larry, as always, I could talk to you for hours longer. I always enjoy our conversations and you always keep give ideas and thoughts to help us all learn. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you sharing your story and look forward to all the things that are coming from it. Kelly, many, many thanks. It's been an honor to be on the program and um, also for your, um, for your viewers and listeners. Thank you for writing the forward. Mm. It was just awesome. It was just awesome, Kelly. Thank you. It was absolutely my honor to do it. And thank you for trusting me with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, Kel, thanks. It, it really it, it really set the book off on the right step. It really did right from the start. So I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Good. Good. Larry, if anybody is interested in finding out more about what you're doing, what's the best way for yeah, them to connect with way, you? Yeah, best way, just uh, you could reach out to me on Facebook at Larry Indiviglia. I know it's a long name. Mm -hmm. uh, or email me directly um, L in the Biglia at gmail.com. Excellent. I will make sure it gets in the uh, show notes so that they can find it there. And as always, Larry, thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Kelly. Have bye -bye. a great day. Bye-bye. That is such a profound story. And I hope that you were able to think about the question I posed of whether it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. Larry and Gail certainly came to the conclusion that it is better to have loved. I am so taken with the quote that Gail gave to Larry when she said, love is not about whom you've loved longest. It's about who came to you and never left your side. And I hope that through their story, you are able to take away the importance of being present, of staying here in the now, of sharing your love and accepting what is, no matter what. I think we could all do with a little more love in the world. <laughs> and it starts with each one of us. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode and that story. I hope you'll go out and get the book and read more of the details of that beautiful relationship and love that Larry and Gail shared. And thank you for tuning in today. Stay tuned for more episodes of It Just Takes One coming soon.